Jesus said a bunch of stuff today. We're going to talk about anger. And for some of you, you're like, I don't want to be here. Yeah, <laughs> like we could go with Richard Sherman at this point and say, you mad, bro? <laughs> you guys mad? What are you mad about? Can we go to what Jesus said about anger? And honestly, what he taught about anger in words is pretty much limited to something you'll see in what's called the Beatitudes, or not the Beatitudes, but the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to join together there. What he did with anger, how he expressed it, how he dealt with other people's anger is a ton, and we're going to get up to that for the next six weeks. But before I even go into any kind of further introduction on this, I want to go with what Jesus said about anger. So join me, please, in Matthew 5, 21 through 26. As you're turning there or you're turning your attention to the screen, I'll remind you that we are this miraculous group of people who were miraculously saved. Somebody had prayed, I think it was Annette, like she got grace that she didn't deserve. Hey friend, you don't get any other kind of grace. We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. No matter how good looking you are, no matter how strong you are, no matter how many times you put money into a box or whatever, we are miraculously saved by grace. Not by ourselves. But we're not saved unless... Our eyes and ears and hearts are open and we literally confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. And then we get to live that out. He gives us his spirit. What an amazing gift. And so we give back and we don't just give back financially, although you can do that not just here but lots of other places, but we also give back of our lives. We give back of our attention. We give back of repentance. We say, God, I'm reconciled. I've been bought by you, and I live for you. And again, some of you aren't there yet, and I'm excited to be able to say the invitation stands. You can come to him this very second. At the end of the service, as we're looking at some taking some steps toward Jesus, moving toward Jesus, guess what? For some of you, that's the first step. And I'm excited to say that you can do so even now. All right, Matthew 5, 21 through 26. Jesus said, You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. All right. Pretty straightforward, right? We know this one as a what? Yeah, commandment. One of the, yeah, one of the top ten. These weren't suggestions. These weren't acknowledgments. This wasn't a wink. This is one of the big ones, right? You shall not murder. And maybe even in this room, there's some people that have murdered. But for the most part, we all recognize whether we murder or not. Yeah, that's, that's a big one. Don't do that. But, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother or sister, and there's a little note there in many manuscripts that says, without cause. So, but I say to you, that everyone who's angry with his brother or sister will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. 
whoo, the standard just got a lot more significant. So, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court. This is an interesting picture. You're going to court with somebody that accuses you? How often you be like, walking alongside of the person that's your accuser. Not often. But Jesus is like, you've got a chance to connect with somebody on your way to court. On your way to judgment. So much more on that in the remaining weeks, but I'll just give you an overview here. So on your way to court with them, come to terms with them lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you've paid the last penny. You guys, I will unpack Matthew 5, 21 through 26 more next week, but this is the most direct teaching Jesus gave on anger. And he says, everyone who's angry. Everyone who's angry. Do you know who that covers? Ah, see? Go, we didn't even have to do like a Greek lesson or anything. It's everyone. Everyone who's angry. And he goes on to say, with his brother or sister, without cause. And what he's going after in this is like, you've got anger. It's there. What are you doing with it? Where are you going with it? Are you hanging on to it? He's talking about being reconciled. He's talking about being on right and good terms with people that you're actually angry with. And there's a lot of things that we're angry about. John and I have spent, John is one of our other pastors, amazing. He's co-pastor, executive pastor. He lines me up. He's, I know people say things like, oh, he's your work wife. That's weird. I don't like that at all. But he bounces me out like my wife does. He's strong in areas that I'm not. As we were looking at this, it's really clear to us that anger's on the rise. Or at least we have more access to it. If COVID messed with a lot of stuff and reset a lot of stuff and uncovered a lot of stuff, anger is one of those things that it really, really brought to the surface. And is it okay to be angry? And if so, when should you be angry? And why should you be angry? Was Jesus angry? And what was he angry about? And how does your anger compare to him? Over the next six weeks, listen to this. I'll read it directly. Everyone experiences anger at some point in their lives. But how we handle it can make all the difference. In this series, we're going to explore the different forms of anger and how Jesus addressed them. We'll examine his own anger today the roots of anger next week, the different reasons why people become angry, including pride and fear, which I think are the roots of anger. I think anger is a secondary emotion. I've experienced that for 52 years and yesterday during a stinking high school baseball game. <laughs> if that sounds specific, it's because it is. <laughs> very, very personal. 
And then this final one, the desire to defend God, which is a really beautiful, godly desire that we take and go some really ungodly ways. We're also going to delve into hidden anger. And we'll have to unpack that at the end. Cynicism. Critical spirit that can be lurking beneath the surface of all of our hearts. So I'm glad that you're here. We're going to see what Jesus did and did he get angry? And so I'll just ask you, and we got a little tiny bit of time for a discussion. Did he get angry? So what did he get angry about? What do you guys think? People turning the temple into a market. What else? Disrespecting his father. What do you guys think? Did, did Jesus get mad about stuff that you and I get mad about? He got mad at Peter. He even called him Satan. It's not a great nickname, really. <laughs> not. He wasn't like, oh, you little devil. No, he's like, Satan, God, get behind me. Okay. Shortly after, he said to him, wow, good move. You testified that I am the Savior of the world, that I'm God in the flesh. Only the Father could give you that. What goes up must come down. And he blew it. Yeah. We're going to look at three different ways, three different experiences, three different accounts of when Jesus got mad. And so we're going to really, really get after it. But a couple of things that we talked about, a couple of things we didn't. He got mad at injustice. He got mad at dishonoring God. He got mad at wrong teaching. And as you're going to read with me in just a little bit, he got mad at keeping children from him. So here we go. John 2, 13 through 22, the aforementioned cleansing of the temple. I don't know if you know this, but biblical accounts, eyewitness accounts, he did it not once, but twice. At the beginning of his earthly ministry, and in the last week of his life, both around the Passover time. This is just wild, crazy, amazing. So here you go. We're going to go to John 2, and we'll go 13 through 22. Just really quick, if you don't know what Passover is, it's where we get our communion from. It was the idea, not the idea, it was the memorial and the feast where they remembered that God gave his people instructions to have the blood of a perfect lamb. So you can't just drain the blood from the lamb and keep it living. The lamb died. And they took the blood and put it over the door jam, right? Over the frame, over the lintel. And they covered it and the, the angel of death would pass over those people. Those who didn't have the blood of a perfect lamb over the door frame. The firstborn, all the firstborns would die. Total picture of Jesus. It's wonderful. If you want more about that, talk to your Christian friends. Talk to, I mean, give me a shout. I'd love to talk about that, but I do need to get going. But this is what's happening. They're celebrating the Passover. John 2, 13 through 22. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He was a Jewish man. He would have celebrated this every year of his life. 
in the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. Just a really quick background. They weren't supposed to be doing that in the temple. There would be sacrifices and all that kind of stuff. And this money changing was because they had been taken over by Rome and they didn't want Rome's filthy, nasty money, although they would take it and spend it, but they didn't want it for part of worship and the offerings, so they would do an exchange. And this is all happening inside. All right. I need you to know where this is happening really, really quick. There would have been an outer court that was for Gentiles to be able to come. There was supposed to be access to Yahweh, even for Gentiles. This is where that was happening. Now, the inner court, they didn't want to mess with that. But where those stinky Gentiles were at, eh, we don't really care too much about them. And so... He made a whip of cords. He drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And your little dog, too. Get out. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered what was written. Zeal for your house will consume me. This is a little shout out to God's word and how in its entirety, as we've looked at in the past years, is this ongoing narrative of God, his holiness, and his love. There's a thread, and it's about Jesus all the way through. And so zeal for your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, hey, what sign do you show us for doing these things? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When, therefore, he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Sometimes you got to see it to believe it. They heard it. They were kind of tripping out on it. They remembered some of the Bible, but it wasn't until Jesus died and rose from the dead until he gave them his Holy Spirit that they were able to remember what Jesus said. And by the grace of God, we have that today. So first time he cleansed. Why did he cleanse it? What was he mad about? They weren't following the law. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. What else? They weren't respecting the house of the Lord. Now, does that mean that when little kids come running up and down and they spill their, like, I don't even know what they don't spill, but I'll just say in particular, little goldfish, and they hit the ground and people step on them and they ground them. That's disrespecting the house of the Lord. Get out. How dare you? You're crying. You're loud. You, you need a diaper change in the house of the Lord? Get out. Probably not. But in this case, they're flat out making a mockery of what the temple of God was supposed to be. Supposed to be access to the presence of the Most High. 
And you can do that if the price is right. You can do that if you can get all these things together the way they're supposed to go. And it started probably as a really good thing. We just want people to have access and for it to be holy. And they turned it into a market. Let's go to the second time. Matthew 21, 12 through 13. Last week of Jesus' life. Well, many rose from the dead and he's still alive. So it's almost a misnomer to say that. But his life right here on earth. So Matthew 21, it's just quick, 12 and 13. Jesus comes in, he had the triumphal entry, everything's great, Hosanna, la, la, la. And he entered the temple, and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Oh, that whole pigeon thing gets two mentions. <laughs> like, gosh, I don't think he hates pigeons. It's just, and as a matter of fact, his mom and his stepdad, his earthly father, Joseph, had to use pigeons because they were poor. They couldn't get a lamb. They had to buy these two little pigeons. And again, some of this was like, we want you to be able to worship Yahweh. But they were doing it in a way that they hadn't learned from three years prior. He does it again. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer but you make it a den of robbers. You guys, let me get right to it. Jesus' anger, always righteous. Some of us are like, me too. <laughs> Based on what? Your definition of righteousness? No, God's definition, Aaron. Give me some credit. Okay. His anger was properly motivated. Holiness, zeal for the Lord. He wanted what was right. His little brother, James, didn't believe in him at first, but Jesus died and rose from the dead, and some point after that, James believed in Jesus. So much so that he actually died for his faith as well eventually, but he was leading the church as he got older after Jesus rose from the dead, and he wrote a little book called James. And it's found later on in the New Testament. It, this isn't what Jesus said, but it is very helpful. If you join me really quick, James 1, 19 through 20. Again, I have it up on the screen. This is a really great reminder of righteousness. Know this, my beloved brothers and sisters. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Did I lose anybody on that? We're in a really tight game yesterday. We're finally starting to win like we've won twice. And the previous win that we had was Friday against a team that's really, really good but very beatable, and we won, and it's excited. We're on this crescendo, and we're playing against a team that's already beat us, and we need to beat them to be able to try to get in good position to keep going towards the playoffs. If you don't know it yet, I'm one of the coaches at the high school. And um, there was a play. And the umpire, to my... Um, 
humble opinion. <laughs> Once you say that, though, you're no longer humble. So, in my humble opinion, too late. But I was like, no, no, no. But a lot louder and a lot more animated and jumping. It was a tantrum. Yes, thank you, Marlo. <laughs> and in case anybody other than the moms and the wives didn't know, you're absolutely right. It was a tantrum. Whew. I was neither quick to hear, slow to speak, or slow to be angry. In verse 20, wasn't happening either. The anger of man does not, well, it was actually happening. The anger of man was not producing the righteousness of God. I'm an example on that field sometimes of what not to do. My focus, my control was not like Jesus. I get this great opportunity to repent and I took it. One of my dear friends who happens to be the head coach let me know how out of line I was. <laughs> I let him know how right he was actually and had some fairly quick, I even knew both the umpires, they officiate basketball games with my brother, my little brother. I went out and apologized. The guy goes, you're not important enough to kick out of a game. Don't worry about it. <laughs> what I'm trying to tell you, and I'm probably being funny about it because I really feel exposed but I know that God, did. <laughs> he did not. I had a whole ferry ride to think about this and then a drive home and then a whole night. And I'm like, no, God, they don't need to hear about that. And there's lots of other things they can hear about. No, this right here, Jesus is always righteous. Our anger apart from him is not righteous, no matter how self-righteous or selfish you think it is. Do you know that low self-esteem is not humility? You and I get angry because we feel stupid. It's not a righteous anger. That's pride having a bad day. It's self-righteous. It's just not righteous. So let's go to this other event. Mark 3, 1 through 6. Again, Jesus entered the synagogue. You guys, that's the church. That's a church building at least. Not the temple, but these little community churches. And a man was there with a withered hand. I don't, I mean, there's all kinds of different ideas. They talk about dropsy, all these different things. But it wasn't right. It wasn't whole. And they, the religious leaders in the church, watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. What do you think their motivation was? They probably thought it was righteousness. They probably thought it was like, look, he can't work on the Sabbath. God said, chill on the Sabbath. You think that they wanted to catch him up? They wanted to accuse him? Like, I mean, they're looking to accuse him of what? Doing wrong, right? 
And so when people are coming at you like that, you're probably like me. Don't come at me like that. You're defensive, right? A little frustrated. Like, you're coming at me, and your tone is all wrong, right? Stop. Well, listen to this. He said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. Anybody know why? They got exposed. They were having their little tantrum, but it was inside. And they kept silent, which, man, if that's all they did, they probably would have been doing better. So Jesus looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. So much to this, but I'm just going to say the Pharisees and the Herodians did not like each other. But nothing brings people together like a common enemy. And it happened to be Jesus. And they got together to see how they could destroy him. Jesus' anger did not lead him to sin. We know that it's always righteous, but it didn't lead him to sin. We get mad and we want to hit back. Maybe not physically, praise God, but that's a pretty low bar. We very often want to lash out at those who lash out against us, who are trying to trick us, who are trying to trap us, who have hurt us. Jesus instead does good. He makes whole this man. Not just to rub their faces in it, but to say to them, look, my anger is accompanied with grief. You're not where you need to be, you guys. He's calling them out, not just with words, but with actions. But he wasn't spitting and throwing rocks and throwing daggers, and you guys are terrible. Check it out in Ephesians 4, 26 through 27. We hear this wonderful passage that I'm sure some of you, when you think of anger, this is one of the ones that comes immediately to your mind. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Another shout out to not holding grudges. Started out, I don't know if you caught that already, in Matthew 5, 21 through 26, he's like, look, if there's problems, man, don't play church, deal with it, or at least try, right? We have to, it does take two, but if you can do anything you can to make sure there's no problem between you and somebody, Jesus said to do it, and here again, the apostle Paul says, look, be angry and don't sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger. So a lot of times we'll justify our anger like, I'm not sinning, I'm just mad. And what are you doing with it? Hanging on to it? 
There's a sin there, friend. It's grudge. It's vengeance. It's self-righteousness. And he says, so don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity. I love that word opportunity. I love it a little bit more how it's translated in some other translations. There are all these different things you can do with the Greek words, but it's the word topos. is where we get topography from. It means land. He's like, don't give land. Don't give a foothold. Don't give a toehold. Don't give ground to the devil. I know in the King James it says, don't give peace to the devil. (laughs) Gosh, yeah. That seems like, duh. But like, don't give opportunity to the devil. No foothold. How do we not do that? In this. How is it that we hear it in this? How do we not give opportunity to the devil according to Paul here? What do we do with our anger? Hang on to it? You gotta let it go. Well, he says, be angry, right? I don't think he's saying, look, everybody, just be angry. But don't sin. No, you're right, and we're about to get into it where he says, look, you got to actually let it go. Yes, ma'am. Maybe it's like righteous anger produces a change for good. Like, if you get angry at something, something good could come from that. But if it isn't going to produce something good, you got to let it go immediately. Amen. You got what? Okay, I mean, you guys, I love you, and you are not only my sisters and family in Christ and church people, you're people that have, each of you have been angry. Each of you haven't given it to the Lord. Each of you haven't given it up. And so these are the right answers. Jesus' anger didn't lead him to sin. If yours is leading you to sin, holding a grudge, coming after people, not showing the grace and truth of Jesus because of your anger, then it does have to be let go. But they're doing what's wrong. Look, I'm not saying don't stop people from doing dangerous things. I'm not saying don't stop people from lying. If you can do something with your anger that isn't sinful, then you're doing a good thing. It's the righteousness of God. If you're not, friends, plain and simple, not easy, you never hear me say that word, but plain and simple, that's sin. And James also says, if you know the good you ought to do and you don't do it, that's sin. And so we get to repent and all of that, but let's get to the final one. We're going to go back to the book of Mark really quick. <clears throat> I found something fascinating. We're going to Mark 10, by the way, 13 through 15. This is the one with the little kids. But... <clears throat> I found this fascinating that the book of Mark has a ton of accounts where Jesus was dealing with the anger of other people and where he actually got angry as well. And the main resource, the main information source for the book of Mark was Peter, who was an angry dude. And I don't know if he's like, man, I, and then this other time Jesus was mad. 
I don't think so, but it was pretty amazing to me. He's like, look, let's unpack this. So here's Mark 10. And we'll go 13 through 16. I have 13 through 15 on there. I want to focus on 16, just us without the screen. Mark 10, 13 through 15. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them. And the disciples rebuked them. At minimum, they're like, get these kids away. At maximum, they were frustrated with these people. Get away. Don't bring the kids. Don't bother them with these kids. Families were bringing their precious children to Jesus because they wanted him to touch these kids. Today we hear that and we're like, that's gross. No, it wasn't. Don't listen to that. It was beautiful. They knew that this guy is a great teacher, maybe even God in the flesh. We want our kids to know him. And his disciples are like, not today, punks. Get out. Nope. It's a busy man. And when Jesus saw it, he was indignant. Oh, that's a sweet word. The original means white hot, affronted, offended, angry. And he says to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. I am not just begging you. I'm crying out to you as Holy Spirit-filled people. If you are in Christ, raise your children to know him. Put screens down unless you're watching something that's pointing them to Jesus. Like, allow yourself to get into the word. And I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to us. Get into God's word with them. Teach downstairs. Come to the day camp meeting. Help kids in this community come to Jesus, for goodness sake. We need it so desperately. They need it so desperately. Whitney Houston saying, I believe the children are the future. Guess what? They're here today. Tell them today so in the future they're leading other people to know the Lord. Other children. Don't hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. He calls us in another passage to be childlike. Not childish, but childlike in our faith. Like we need God. Just come to him. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, here it is in this one as well, shall not enter it. He didn't just have a good speech. Let me read verse 16 to you. You have it with you. You can read it with me. But, and he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. Personal, passionate, right? In this, you are important, children. This just leads me to the final thing, and we'll get into all of this in lots and lots of different ways in the next five weeks, but Jesus' anger was always under control. Always. He was mad. We've seen it three, four technically different times, you guys, where he was mad. He was righteous in it. He didn't sin in it. He was under control. Again, really quickly, please come back with me to Ephesians 4. We'll go 31 and 32. 
I have to get to it. So here it is. Let all bitterness and wrath. <laughs> That's where wrath gets started, right? And, and I mean, shoot, he just, Paul unpacks these things in some great ways. He gives a bunch of different ways to explain anger. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Not off to the side so you can get to it later. Put away means get rid of it. It's trash. It's cleanup day. You don't go and dig through your trash once you put it out. It's out. Some of you are like, yeah, you've never lost a retainer. No, <laughs> I, I haven't. I've helped some people. But, but really, in general, right, with trash, we just get rid of it. And he says, along with malice, which is anger with evil intent. Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Get rid of all of it. Bitterness. Be kind to one another. Tenderhearted or compassionate. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Jesus' anger was always righteous. Never let him to sin. And you guys, this final one, always under control. I ask a question that I think I might know the answer to a little bit. How does Jesus' anger compare or contrast with your own anger? Where's some adjustments that need to be made? God isn't up there like, I'm so mad at you for being mad the wrong way. Get up! But he's got a righteous anger and a righteous wrath, and he's going to discipline us. For me, it oftentimes looks like how I impact others around me, relationally. God comes after us. So how's he coming after you today? I don't have time for this quick story, but I'll tell it. It's kind of funny, and it's kind of just troubling. This man was in a buggy with his son, and they're going to town to, to get some supplies and the horse just stops and he gets out and he yells at the horse that's one and he gets back up <laughs> happens again he gets out that's two gets back up third time he shoots the horse everybody's like what in the world his son's like Dad, how are we going to get to town? He goes, we're going to pull all this ourselves. Goes, but your anger, it led to killing our horse and now all this work we're going to have to do? And he looks at his son and he goes, that's one. <laughs> Funny and yet super convicting. I would never talk to my children like I talk to my dog or my horse. Really? I've seen it. I've seen it in my own life. I've seen it in your lives. So how do we move towards Jesus? Today, you come to salvation first and foremost. If you have not been saved, if you want to raise your hand, you can. If you want to repeat after me in prayer, you can. Listen to this. We just simply say, God, you are God. I am not my anger does not produce the righteousness of God. My life is not my own. 
I recognize that you're the Lord. I am not. I believe that you died for my sins and you rose from the dead. You are my savior. I want you. You love me first. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody done that today for the first time? Do you be willing to say, yeah, it was me. I, I did it. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. If you're online, you're going to have to let me know because I can't see your hand. <laughs> the next step is like, look, I confess I'm angry, and I'm angry not in ways that lead to righteousness, but it's been sinful and it's been out of control. The simple thing is not just to confess it, but to come to the Lord and say, look, show me how to live this out. Show me how to be more like you. Let me take you at your word. Would you take another step moving towards Jesus? Would you let somebody know in your life, I've been angry. We're going to talk about roots of anger next week and so we can get into that. But I mean, fear, pride, disappointment, embarrassment. You've been abused. You've been hurt. Maybe you get to a Christian counselor. Give your pastors a call I'm not your pastor, but you still would like to talk. Please reach out. we got three full-time pastors. We've got wonderful directors. We've got elders. We'd love to talk to you, but there's other churches. There's other places, but you need to ask. That's moving toward Jesus is exposing it, confessing it. I've been that dad. That's one, right? And then finally, don't be afraid to lovingly call people on their anger. They're probably going to be mad at you. But be ready to lovingly say, look, it doesn't have to be this way. You guys, I got to let you go. But you're going in Jesus' hands as you leave. You're entering a mission field to be sure. But the truth is, if Jesus is inside of you, you don't go anywhere he isn't. And... He's all over the place anyway, so you've never gone anywhere he isn't. So trust him, believe him, walk with him, be strong and courageous, and let it be contagious. God bless you. you got to go. All right, bye-bye.